to the same place we've opened them the last two weeks, and we'll open one more time uh, next week. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's God's word, and it's a good one. Um, today we're looking at the commitments to the church's testimony, okay? To our witness and our face that we give Tonkawa and the world. And so before we get into that, I just want to do those wise. One more time, okay? Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? First is to help us do Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, and consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works and give a big yes to those things. Second, to standardize our current membership and remove any kind of vagueness, because right now um, there is some. And then third, I want to be able to offer people a clear, simple path to becoming part of our family. And then uh, fourth, I just was talking to Rachel this morning about um, some of this stuff before Sunday school. Uh, she said she's taken that thing and kind of used it as a prayer guide. Okay, like I'm going to pray that, that our doctrine, is, our church believes rightly and our church worships rightly and our church disciples and evangelizes and today uh, gives and lives worthy lives. So I thought that was a good one. Okay. So our first commitment that, that we talked through uh, was our unity. Okay. Where we affirm our, our, our beliefs, where we uh, commit to love one another and serve one another and care for one another. And then we commit to our unity by honoring our leaders. The second one was to the mission of the church. Okay. So last week we talked about, we want to be a church that worships Jesus uh, wholeheartedly. With everything, we want to be a church that makes disciples of each other, encourages each other to follow Jesus. Because Hebrews ten, the days drawing near, and then third, an evangelizing culture, where our church tells people about Jesus, about what He's done, about what He's going to do. And so, if if you missed either one of those, uh, you can watch online or listen online. But I would just rather um, talk to you about that because I'm a huge people person. Okay. The third commitment today is to the church's testimony, all right, to our corporate witness in Tonkawa um, or Ponca or, or Perry or wherever um, you're from. And we're going to practice this through supporting the church financially. So Max talked about money. I'm going to talk about it again. And through living worthy lives and so and, and participating in the church's polity, which we won't deal with that this week because it'd take too much time. We'll do it next week, okay? So first... For our testimony in Tonkawa, we commit to using our financial resources for the benefit of the church's mission. And historically, guys, this is how the Great Commission has moved forward. Okay, Believers take part of their money to support the mission of the church, to support worship and discipleship and evangelism. That's where we want our money to go. Uh, even the house church movements of the first century and those that exist all around the world today. I, I know like Afghanistan has been in the news a ton the last two months. Um, Afghanistan, Iran is still number one as far as the explosion of disciples. Afghanistan is number two right now. And so even as persecution is, is growing, uh, God's people are growing uh, as well. Um, but even them, they, they give their, their money 
okay, their resources to support the labor of the worship of the church and the discipleship of the church and the evangelism of the lost. Okay, this is what Paul is doing. And you might not know this, like if you open up and read Romans, like you're just like, whoa, this big, majestic mountain of theology or whatever. That's a fundraising letter. Okay, he's writing to the church saying, hey, I got to go to Spain and need some money. First Corinthians, you know, a lot going on in First Corinthians. He's, I was like, hey, we got saints in Jerusalem who are going through a famine. I need money to do this thing. Okay, so those are, those are uh, even Philippians. He's asking for money. Okay, so even first century persecuted churches, they're, they're taking their money for the mission of the church. Now, their work doesn't come with the, the demands of the Western model, right? A lot of our, our money goes to, to this. I don't know how much powder coating costs, but those look nice, okay? And, and we have staff and programs and all this stuff, but the principle's the same, okay? God's people, whether in a house church movement or our, our, our Western model, give their money to support worship and discipleship and evangelism. And so when disciples talk about money, when disciples of Jesus talk about financial resources, really what we're talking about is gasoline, Okay, for the mission. If there's no gas in the car, the, the car doesn't run. Okay, um, so you know, me and Derek are, are good friends. We have, I've been in the car with him three different times where we've run out of gas. <laughs> it don't run. Okay, so we expect our members to use their money to support the church, and I would just lay the same grid that I laid over last week to that. Okay. We should use our money to, to support the mission of the church one-to-one, okay? So when God provides you work, and when God provides you money from that work, that's a gift that's meant to be given to, to your church family, okay? So if you have a member who's in need, and you can meet that need with your money, what should church members do? Meet that need, you know, pull out, hey, brother, here, I love you, I'm caring for you, I'm serving you, here's some cash, Okay? That's first, one-to-one. We should also do that in smaller groups, so whether it's our, small, uh, our house groups, our Sunday schools, whatever kind of smaller group you're in, someone in that group has a need, what should believers do? Pass the hat, right? I, I've been in, uh, not as much now, but when I was younger in, in those, um, you know, when I was younger um, in those uh, board meetings, uh, I remember like, like Gary Robinson would... We'd be talking about something, yada, yada, yada. It's just never ending. And, and Gary would just go, oh, just pass a hat, you know. And we'd take care of it, whatever that thing is. So we want to give one-to-one. We want to give in our smaller groups. And we want to give um, to the corporate holding, okay? So by regularly giving to the larger body, uh, to the whole church, okay, you support the whole church, okay? So if you can't meet a need one-to-one or our smaller group can't meet a need, we can push that thing to the whole group. And guess what? We got a lot of money. Okay, I'm going to talk about how much money we have in a second. We got a lot of money as Westerners. Okay, so no one, no one should go hungry in our church. Okay, just should never, ever, ever happen. Shame on us if it does. No one in our church should ever, ever be without shelter. Right? And then Paul writes, "Look, you have food and you have shelter. Be content." Okay, we can do that for each other. We can make sure that always happens and, and bear each other's burdens. In that way, okay? And that's the primary emphasis when you read about giving in the New Testament to the church. It's not to support pastors. It's to support the poor that are among you, okay? Because Jesus said the poor are going to be with you to the end of the age. And we're going to support and care and love for them. So when you write your check or text your thing in or drop your coin, whatever, 
to the corporate holding. That's so we can help the corporate holding. Okay, that, that's first. Second, it's also to care for our leaders. Okay, those who preach the gospel, Paul, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. He says, don't starve the ox while it's treading out grain. So it goes to support our ministers. Um, and that you're allowing this to be like a job, like I need to pinch myself some weeks, guys. Like I get to do this for my job. I get to wake up and pray and study the Bible and and sit down and talk with people about Jesus. And sometimes that's fun and sometimes that's not. But like I get to do this for a job and that's not possible without giving. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, me and Sierra live extravagant lifestyles. Okay, we really do. (laughs) We we eat a lot of meat, I guess. Um, So it goes to that and then it goes to our, our missionary giving. Okay. Okay, and it's great that you can give to a missionary personally. Okay, I think you get a lot of uh, relationship that way. But when we combine all of us, okay, our our eighty member church, we can give a whole lot of money. Okay, I don't have fish and loaves on the board right now because I needed that picture frame. But you can see all of our our missions um, over there. And so, if you've been a member of our church as long as I have. Every year, anywhere from 14% to 18% of our total budget goes right out the door into Tonkwa and into the nations, okay? That's like, you know, that's 35 to 55 grand a year. We give right out the door. And we can do that and give a lot of money because we all give to it, okay? And so we put this as part of our testimony that we give. It's the expectation of every member to give, okay? We we think... um, and then also when you give to this, you keep the lights on and it's nice and cool in here and, and uh, that kind of stuff, okay? So we think that financial support is, is really part of what it means to be a member, okay? It's expected of every member from, from the millionaire, okay? I don't know how many, you know, we probably got 20 millionaires in here. I just don't know it because you guys live so modestly. Um, to the high school kid who's working part-time, if they're a member of the church, we want to ex- make the expectation clear that we give to the church, to, to the mission of, of what we're trying to do together, okay? So how much should we give to the church? How much? Well, let's look at the Torah first. In the Torah, God commands his people to give 10% of their income to support the Levites, okay? The, the, the priestly workers, all right? That's tithe means means tenth. You don't give a 10% tithe. You give a tithe, okay? Um, but that's not all, okay? 10% is not the entire Torah uh, teaching on giving. Israel's to give sacrifices. They're to give to, to redeem their firstborn and, and their animals. They pay various taxes uh, for the temple and the tabernacle and the tithe, okay? The, the 10% tithe, I just did it. The tithe on the harvest and the flock is just one of, of the diverse gifts that God commands in the Old Testament. So you add all those things up, and it's about 25%. That God is commanding his people um, to give. And that doesn't include free will offerings. Okay? So it's a weird thing in the... in the. It's not weird. It's beautiful. That if you just want to come and bring an offering to the Lord, like he's got a category for that. Like here's the free will offering. And you just really... Your heart's just full right now. Bring it into the temple. Okay? And we can do that um, too. Okay? Now what I don't want to do is correlate um, the temple and our church one-to-one kind of deal. But you get the point. It's not like 10% is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's more than that. Moving out of um, the, the Tanakh and into the time of Jesus, and I didn't used to think this. Now I think this. Jesus affirms the tithe. 
And then Paul, when he's instructing the churches, he doesn't call them to a tithe. I think it's assumed, like they just understand that. But he calls them to give support to the churches, 1 Corinthians 16, in keeping with their income. Okay? Which, you know, Dave Ramsey's like, amen. All right? Which is to say, give as much as you're able to give. Right? Don't, you know, don't, don't be a hoarder. Don't be a miser. Like Jesus has harsh words for them. We're going to get in. Uh, into later in Matthew. Later, that same church in Corinth, he commends them for giving with rich generosity. And then in Second Corinthians, I've struggled with this, he says, some of you gave beyond your ability. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not Paul. I would not encourage someone to give beyond their ability. I would feel really uncomfortable saying, hey, don't pay your light bill this month because we need to pay ours. I would have an issue with that, but that's what Paul's doing, okay? I say all that to say, it's the expectation of the people of God to contribute to their believing community. And we're not talking about this this morning, and to their unbelieving community, okay? We, believers should support um, giving and charity and, and, and philanthropy and all of those things, okay? Now, I've, I've been a part of this church for a long time, so I know everything I just said, you guys are really well versed in, all right? I don't have to shake you guys to give. You just are generous, generous people. But I do want to say this for those of us who might be new. In, in 2021, we have more disposable income than the people did during the Great Depression. Would you agree? Okay. Uh, my, my grandpa was alive during that time, and he you know, has stories about putting the wet in your towel and putting on the window and all this stuff. Okay. Was anyone here alive? Were you, were you alive during the Great Depression? Dust bowl and stuff? All right. Anyway. <laughs> my... <laughs> My point is, we have, I didn't ask a woman, I asked a man, all right. We, we have more money now than they did back then. But listen to this stat, fewer than 5% of churchgoers actually give 10% of their income. The average, according to Empty Tomb, and I can give you the study if you want to see it, the average now is 3.4%, or 21% less than what the Dust Polar counterparts gave during the worst parts of the Great Depression. That's an indictment, guys. Okay, I'm not, I, don't, you know, I don't look at our stuff, but that's an indictment on the church. For Americans, not specifically believers, okay, just all Americans, uh, the, the U.S. median household giving to charity was 1.3% of their income. So we're giving more than other people, but it's still, it, it's not great. So just two things on this. For those who can, start at 10%, okay? Giving 10% of your money away. And I promise you, it comes back. Okay, give 10% away and move that percentage up should the Lord make a way for you, all right? There's 50 testimonies in the, well, maybe not 50 this morning, 20 testimonies in this room of people who tried to outgift God and it just don't work, right? It just doesn't work. For those who cannot give 10%, okay, because this is real life, you got to feed your family, you got to pay your bills, okay, and there's nothing thereafter. What you should do if you cannot give 10% is you should work to give what you do have in, in time and energy and, and, and all that kind of stuff so that when you do give money, because I think the Lord's going to be faithful to you in that, when you do have money, you're already giving. It's already a second reaction, okay? So if you can start at 10 do 10, move up. If you can't do 10, give what you have, and the Lord will be faithful with that, okay? So, that's the first part. We expect members of our church to give to the church. And let me just... So, um, I had a potluck on the calendar, and Gloria bugged me about it, and then I didn't get it done. 
When we have potlucks, again, I've been here for a long time, as a little, I just never brought anything to the potluck, and that's fine, because I'm a horrible little kid, okay? It's, it's odd to have potluck and not contribute, you know what I mean? So if we're all together, you know, bring some beans, all right? <laughs> bring your beans, all right. I'm, I'm done talking about money, now we're going to talk about hell, all right? Second commitment, by God's grace and by the Spirit's power. We commit to the testimony of the church through living worthy lives, okay? We expect members of our church and, and should expect members of all churches to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the bell. If you guys just open up to, to, to your, your letters and your epistles and all this, the New Testament, if you open up to that, that's the bell the apostles ring over and over and over again because Jesus is returning soon to restore all things and he's coming to judge the living and the dead because that's happening. We are to live lives worthy of that king and, and live lives worthy to inherit his kingdom. Right, that, like that's the message of the New Testament, or just we, we want to say over and over and over and over and over again, eschatology, the day of the Lord, the restoration of all things, the resurrection of the dead, some to eternal life, some to eternal condemnation, eschatology drives our discipleship. Okay, You live now because of what's coming then, all right? If that's real, you're going to live differently now. You're going to live worthy of that day. Okay, so listen to the, apost uh, the apostolic witness, the apostles over and over. Titus 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So Jesus came as the lamb slain who takes away the sins of the world. This grace, verse 12, this grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, and to live. How? Self-controlled, upright, godly lives now, in this present age, okay? Because Jesus came as a lamb slain before the day of the Lord. Right now, live this way, verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope. The blessed hope. What is the blessed hope of the believer? What's the blessed hope of the world? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? Hidden appearing? Secret appearing? Glorious. His appearing is glorious. He who gave himself for us. Why did Jesus give himself for us? To, to do what? Why was Jesus crucified? Why was Jesus risen from the grave? So that we could just keep rebelling against him and keep walking in our ways? He gave himself, no, to redeem us from those things. To, to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, who are eager to do what is good. Our waiting for the blessed hope. It's not a passive waiting, sitting on our thumbs like, oh, waiting for him to come. Like, no, eager to do good, saying no to ungodliness, saying yes to righteousness because that day is real. Eschatology drives our discipleship now. What you think about that day is going to determine how you live now. Because Messiah came, because Messiah is coming, because the Word and the Spirit are training us in, in, in godliness and training us to live self-controlled, training us to walk uprightly. Because of that, we commit our lives in this age, in this day, to live for that day. For His kingdom, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if that's not real, if that's ethereal, if that's some, a storybook or a myth, you're going to live this life however the heck you want. However your flesh wants to take it, you're just going to follow it because that's not real. And so that's why we pray, God, make that day real. 
that Jesus is going to crack the sky with 10,000 legions of angels in flaming fire and raise the dead and restore all things, and I'm going to really stand before him in my body. And I'm going to look at this Jewish king and give account for my life. you got to live worthy of that. That's what he's saying. The next apostle, 1 Peter 3, Therefore, because of the living hope and the resurrection of the dead, before that, verses 3 through 12, Therefore, in view of eschatology. Okay? Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. This is what we talked about in Larry's class this morning. Okay, day Lord's coming. Stay awake. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Preparing your minds for action. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Okay, on the resurrection, on the salvation of all things. Set your hope on that grace that will be revealed when at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at His revealing, at His uh, uh, unveiling. Okay, so when He's revealed. We're raised in glory. When he's, when he, when he's revealed, like we're, we're raised from the dead. And so Peter says to a church that's you know, persecuted there in, in the diaspora, set your hope fully on that day, okay? Set your hope, live your life in view of that day because if your mind is on that day and your heart is on that day, you're going to live soberly, right? You're going to live differently if that's real. I, just, I told the story in... Uh, Larry's class this morning uh, over on my street. There used to be a Rottweiler, a pit bull, or I don't know, animals. A mean dog, okay? A dog that could do damage to me if it got off the chain. And I had a really long chain. And so every day I go on my walk and this thing sees me like it's never seen a human before in its life. I don't know why dogs are like that. Like we've met, you know, we've. And this thing just charges, like, you know, how dogs do every day. And I know, the, I know the chain stops there, but still, because I have fear of the dog, like I'm walking way over by the Catholic Church. I'm just keeping my distance. Because I have fear of what that dog's going to do, I walk differently, right? If I was a total idiot, I would just walk through the yard, right? Right? Okay. Set your hope on that day. Verse 14. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, okay? Before you knew about the dog, before you even knew about the chain. Don't be conformed to those passions, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, okay? Now, I I know... That is nails on a chalkboard to our Protestant ears, okay? I'm, I'm happily Protestant. I know that his judgment being according to our deeds is just, eh, that can't be right. You know, Martin Luther's jumping out of his grave right now. He didn't like First Peter. He didn't like James. <laughs> that's what it says. That's an, I mean, that, that's, that's an ESV. Look up your NIV, KJV. That's what it says. He's going to judge us impartially of where you grew up, what you know, what kind of past you had, how rich you were, how poor you were. He's going to judge you based on you and your deeds. So just let that weigh on you a little bit. Because we call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, Peter finishes and says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And now it's thinking on this... Um, this week and, and talking, you know, because I'm testimony of the church. How, how are we perceived in the world? What face do we give the world? And I just wonder, 
Do we have unbelieving friends? Do we have unbelieving family who would describe us, okay, members of our church, as they really just fear God at CLC? They love God. They know He's their Father. You know, all this stuff. But they, there's a real fear of the Lord among those people at, at CLC. And I just think about my own life, my own relationships. I just don't know if that's true. And so this verse just brought me to trembling like, God, I don't know. I, I might have a healthier fear of that Rottweiler than I do of the Son of Man coming in glory. You know what I mean? And I don't want that. And so when we go into our prayer time today, maybe that's a prayer like, Lord, I want to tremble at your coming. I want to love your appearing and hope for your appearing. But I want to tremble before it. Okay, because you're not a baby in a manger anymore, not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave. He's not staying in heaven forever. You know what I mean? Like, I want to tremble and have the fear of the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. It's how we walk this life out is the fear of the Lord. Okay, next apostle. Oh, it's the same. First, Second Thessalonians 2, or First Thessalonians 2, our lives then emulate that righteousness to which we're called. You are witnesses, and so is God. Of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. So some parenting advice here. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. And who calls you into his kingdom. Okay, So the apostles' ministry among the people was encouraging them to live godly. It was encouraging them to walk in the fear of the Lord. Encouraging them to say, hey, that day is real. It's coming, and you can be ready. God has been kind to you and giving you the gospel and training you in righteousness for that day. So you can stand before him with confidence. And this, this holy living, right, the whole thing, we're talking about this as a church, it is a community project, okay? Sanctification, you're looking more like Jesus before the day of the Lord, takes everyone. It takes the whole crew. Philippians 1, only let your manner, okay? New Testament, you means what? Oklahoma people, y'all, only let y'all's manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that y'all are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It takes the whole church, okay? I guarantee you, I will not live a life worthy of the gospel if my only mechanism for that is Josh's willpower. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I'm, I, I got some discipline, okay? But I'm not going to stand before God just because I have some discipline. I need Joe. I need Stoney. I need Brody. Brody shaved his mustache. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You, that, that's a gift you took from all of us. <laughs> my, my point is, guys, it, it takes a church. It takes an assembly committed to each other, to serving and loving and caring for each other to get you to that day. So y'all live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? I don't know. I need to put out a fleece. I'll just tell you. Your sanctification. That's the will of God for your life. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. For God has not called us to impurity. We're not children of the night, we're children of the day. But to holiness. God is, live now, how you're going to live then. Okay, in the age to come, we're not doing this junk. You know what I mean? 
We're, we're, we're not tang- entangled in sexual sin anymore in the age to come. So live now like you're going to live then, okay? Because Jesus is really returning. Because we're really going to give account. We commit together to live lives worthy of him. Is that like simple and clear? It's not like, oh, I just don't know what Josh is talking about. Like, no, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. So we want to live worthy lives for that day. And it takes a church. We got to commit to this together. Not just I commit to do it myself or Larry commits to do it himself, but we come together. Okay, that's what we're part of what we're doing on Sunday, right? Hebrews ten twenty four, gathering together to encourage one another. Your presence on on in our meetings, whether that's in the living room or here or in a Sunday school class, your presence is God's means of getting me to the end, getting me to walk faithful to that day. So we grab our, we link our arms, and we say, "I'm not going to draw back." I'm going to be found faithful on that day. And I'm thankful, God, that you gave me other saints to do this with me. That's really what, what the whole deal comes down to, okay? It matters. Ephesians 5, for of this you can be sure. Sounds like pretty, you know, straightforward language. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so let no one deceive you with empty words. Empty words being, hey brother, hey sister, it's cool that you don't do battle with drunkenness. It's cool that you don't do battle with lust or gluttony or greed or or, or whatever, fill in the blank. God's gracious, relax, live however you want. Don't be deceived by empty words, okay? Because that, and you guys have heard it. That message is out there. Okay? Just live however you want. You've got grace. Whatever. Paul says, don't be deceived. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient to the gospel. The point is this. Holy living matters for, for your sake. Okay? You as an individual, living a life worthy of the gospel matters for your sake. Just, just for you. What I'm talking about and what I, what I am, am, am just hoping and aiming for with our, with our member commitments is that holy living, living a life worthy of the gospel matters for CLC's testimony in the world, okay, and, and, and down the street. In Tonkawa, our corporate testimony to Tonkawa, we have to live holy lives. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you, y'all, as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Day of visitation being that Jewish guy cracks the sky. Okay, the, the day of the Lord. So where are believers supposed to keep their conduct holy? Among the Gentiles. Okay? This is one reason I think I used to think First Peter was written to Gentiles. I think it's to Jews now. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Why? Why does Peter care so much? Because if you guys keep your conduct holy and live lives worthy of the gospel, they're going to see your good deeds and they're going to glorify God on the day of visitation. So our corporate testimony, our corporate witness, our corporate walking this thing out in holiness and faithfulness and screwing up and repenting and going back to it and screwing up and repenting and going back to it, that act of repentance causes people, it's a mechanism for them glorifying God when he comes. For them seeing Jesus and not saying, oh no, but saying, Maranatha, come Lord. 
your life before God and before the world. Your honorable conduct acts as a catalyst for the world, glorifying Jesus when he comes. Okay? We want our members to, to loudly, proudly, you know, write it in the sky, commit to our testimony, and, and not be on the fence about it. Okay? How we live together matters for our testimony to the gospel. How we speak together matters for our testimony to the gospel. How, how we tweet and post and, and, and TikTok or whatever matters. It really matters. I and mean, that's what Peter's saying. He's not like, oh, this will be fun advice. Like, no, it matters. People are going to glorify God when he comes because of how we conducted ourselves among them. Holy living is a testimony to the crucified, risen, and soon returning Lord. And we want every member of our church on the front end to know that. Like, this is what we are about. So we have the, the musicians come up. Um, and and the, just the reason is when people come in, like we don't want we don't want to hate someone so much that we would give them false security or, or false ideas about being careless and, and carefree with sin. The day of the Lord is coming. We will give account for our lives, and in view of that, we want to commit to encouraging one another in this holy living. Okay. So what happens? When a member deliberately chooses not to live a worthy life, okay? They, they came in, they repented of their sins, they believed, they were baptized. But, but over time, like the, the parable of the seeds and the soil, the cares of this world, right? The, 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 the deceitfulness of this age drew them away. What do we do then? Okay? Like, like Joe just goes off the rails, right? He's down at bird legs every night saying, Joe... Joe, you got to stop it. Joe won't stop. Bring Larry with me. Joe still won't stop. What do we do then? How do we respond to our brother who's wandering? That's what we're going to look at next week, okay? Because again, it's going to take a whole church to keep Joe to the end. All right? Well, that'll be next week, okay? Before today, okay, last thing. For the unbeliever in the room, just preach Paul's sermon to you, Acts 17. The God who made the world... And everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, gives mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation on, on, uh, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. So Paul's preaching and he says, you're here because God wanted you here so that you might seek God and you might find him. Yet he's actually not far from us. And then to the unbelievers... Paul says this, the times of ignorance, God has overlooked. He's overlooked them. The times of us living according to the flesh and idolatry and immorality and apathy towards God. Paul says he's overlooked that. But now, right, standing on Mars Hill says now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And why should people repent? Why should people turn from their sin and turn from their flesh and turn to God? Paul's reasoning is what all the apostles preach because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, we know this will happen. He's given assurance to this by raising Jesus from the dead. Right? So Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. 
That's not like you guys can walk on water and whatever. That kind of it's, I have authority to judge the living and the dead. Because God raised me from the dead, I've been appointed. I'm the guy who's going to judge the living and the dead. And the times of ignorance, God has overlooked. But now, uh, September 12th, 2021, he commands all people everywhere to repent. So that you are found in him on that day. Okay? So to the unbeliever, Jesus died as a sacrifice for your sins, and God raised him from the dead. So turn from your sin and trust in him for eternal life. And so, if you're not a believer, and you haven't repented of your sin, you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, you know what I'm going to tell you? You can talk to me after service, we'll talk about that, but I would encourage you to talk to the person you came with today, because if they're a member of our church, they can lead you to the Lord. They can show you how to, to what it means to repent and trust in Him. And when that happens, we'll dunk you in a tank and we'll all shout about it. Okay? To to the believer, okay? I did I just I just want us to take this seriously. Right? Jesus' words, we read Matthew 24, 25 today. He he's not like advice. You know, the Son of Man is going to crack the sky. He's going to come in glory with legions of angels. So repent. Right? Because I died on a cross for your sins. They weren't for His, right? I died on a cross for your sins. All of them. Even the ones no one else knows about. All of them. I died for those sins as a sacrifice before the day of wrath. So put this blood over your door so when the angel of death comes, you are saved. You inherit eternal life. You inherit the kingdom of God. You live forever in a glorified body without sin and the fullness of the Spirit of God leading you and teaching you in righteousness forever. So my prayer for, for us, for our church, is we just take this seriously. We ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, help us obey these things. Help us take these things seriously. Uh, God, get our, our, our eyes uh, oriented towards our church members to help each other do this thing. Okay? I better stop. I'm just saying, I need help. Okay? I'm not going to walk this out by myself. You're not going to walk this out by myself. And so when we think about our church, I don't want us to think about a service. I want us to think about the people here spurring one another on in holiness and love and fruits of the Spirit. Okay? So let's stand. Let's pray. Um, We'll sing. We'll pray for, I think, the assembly of God, and then our elders will be here, and we're going to pray some more, okay? So, Father, uh, we love you. We thank you for your kindness in not not leaving us in ignorance, not leaving us in darkness. Um, we were once far off, God, strangers to the covenants, God, strangers to, to, to Israel and what you're doing with them. And, and, and through the cross, you've brought us ignorant Gentiles in, and you showed us the truth, and you've taught us how to live and so now we ask you for help we ask you for help to live this thing out we to to, to be found faithful in, in the day of the lord so help us live god before your eyes god your eyes search the earth going to and fro god nothing's hidden from your sight help us live like we believe that and like it's true God, if there's any unbeliever this morning not believing those things, God, would you, by your Spirit, open their heart to turn and help us walk with them?